Amen, amen, and happy Memorial Day weekend. It's so great to be in the house of the Lord together, amen? Amen. We're going to continue our Step Out and in Faith series. If you want to get a head start, we're going to be in Hebrews 11 today, uh, verses 17 through 19, and also Genesis 22. Um, and we're so thankful for how God is building His church, which He is here at Harvest. And we're so thrilled in the variety of ways that He is doing that. And um, praise God for that. Um, and, and locally, internationally, God is building his church. At the end of the service, we're going to actually have the privilege to commission um, some guys from our, t- our, our church that are going on a mission trip in the very near future to praise God for that as they step out in faith there. We're also going to take communion at the end of the service. And so if you, uh, there are communion cups around the, and the chairs around you. Um, but if there aren't enough for those that are sitting with you, we have a couple more in the back or feel free to grab some from another chair that is around you as well. Um, but we also have an exciting opportunity to share with you that God is opening the door for at least six or seven members of, of our church family to go to the Dominican Republic this summer on a mission trip, which is awesome. Praise God. And so we're super th- excited about that. I just want to ask uh, for your prayers in that as we continue to form the team and that team comes together as two folks commit to that. And um, we're excited to see what God will do in that. But I also want to present to you an opportunity. Um, we really believe in the power of the gospel, and we really believe that part of missions is you can, some people get to go. Some people get to give. Some people get, all of us get to pray. Um, but it's all, it's all of us. And so we have an incredible gospel opportunity to see the work of the Lord advance with our mission partners there in the Dominican Republic. So I want to ask you this. I want to ask you to invite you to partner with us um, in, in a prayerful way. Please be praying over the next two months that God will prepare the team and equip the team to go. But also if you would consider giving and giving above and beyond what you do to your normal week, monthly offering, weekly offering, whatnot, to a one-time gift to enhance the work, to come alongside the those that are looking to go to the DR as they look to raise support, but also we have the opportunity to, to bless the churches there to sponsor a, 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 um, a training opportunity for pastors, a conference there, uh, the school that we partner with. So would you prayerfully consider, my challenge is this, my, my prayer this week is that God would provide $2,000 from our church family to go towards this trip so that we can support uh, the work that God has called us to there. Um, we help plant a church there. We get to bless them. We get to see how God's doing there. So if, would you consider a gift above and beyond your normal tithes and offerings? And there's a drop-down box on the harvestandapples.org slash give page that just says DR Mission Trip. And so if you would, uh, before July 1st, that's my prayer that God would really raise up the funds. And I believe that he'll do it. It's an incredible opportunity. Amen. And so that's my challenge for us as we continue to dig in to his word and man, God is moving. Um, When you were in school and you heard these words, okay, close your books, put away your notes. It's time for a pop quiz. What, what feelings did that elicit from you? (laughs) Great. Exciting. Everyone's like, yay. Right. I was planning for this. I was ready for this. The teacher told me it was coming, but I didn't quite believe him or her. I didn't quite whatever. I am not studied up. I'm not ready for it. And you begin to panic, right? And what do you do? Well, none of us really are real thrilled about that. But the reality is testing is a part of our everyday life. There is no school that you go to. Well, maybe there are a few, but the vast majority of them, there are tests that are part of them to see one, if you've graduated from where you were to go to see how far you've come to encourage you to, to, continue to help you along the way. And we're going to see today that this, and walking and being enrolled in the school of faith, which is what we're really is, uh, experiencing as we go through Hebrews 11, is no different. That in our spiritual journeys, God offers us, allows us, ordains for us 
tests along the way, trials along the way, to do a variety of things in us, to reveal in us where, how far we've come. Praise God, amen, that I, I'm, not, I'm not the same person I was, to reveal in us how far we have yet to go, right? Uh, I'm not who I want to be, but praise God, I'm not who I used to be, to encourage us, to exhort us, and honestly, to challenge us, maybe that we're ready to take a step of faith that we didn't think we were, or to challenge us to reveal some maybe some idols in our lives that we didn't even realize were there. We're going to see today from Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 17 through 19, as we continue to look at the life of Abraham, how God uses testing in his life. And it's in the same way that God will use tests in your life, in my life today. And may they humble us, but encourage us. May they just refine us to become more like God. And God in these tests often reveals our inability as he demonstrates his ability. Because part of spiritual maturity is to realize that I need to become less and less and less and God needs to become more and more and more. There is no spiritual maturing without spiritual testing. There's no spiritual maturing without spiritual testing. You know, just like you can't really advance at your job or you can't just advance in the military without passing through certain tests. You can't advance at school. You're not going to mature in the Lord. And God's desire for each and every one of us is to become more and more like Jesus Christ today. So out of his grace and out of his love, he gives us these tests. He ordains some of them. He allows all of them. And he uses every single one of them to make us more like him. To discover the reality that in our inability that we can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens us. Even when these, these tests are awfully, often earthly painful, but they're always eternally purposeful. And that's God's sovereignty. That's his love and his grace. I'm not sure what tests you're walking through right now, but you're probably either walking through one this morning or you're coming out of one or you're about to go into one because life is full of them. Because all of us have room to grow. None of us have fully arrived. I just know this, that God is working in his testing in you. He's exposing maybe some idols, maybe some insufficiencies, maybe some areas that we need to grow while all, uh, all the time exposing his sufficiency. He's delivering. He's delivering us out of our sin, out of our self-reliance, out of our, the mirage that we sometimes cling to, that this world is the provision of our sufficiency. God is providing. We're going to see that directly in the text today that God will not allow anything in your life or ordain anything in your life or call you to something that he will not meet you in and provide for you in it and see you through it. The question is, are we listening to God during the testing? Are we following God and are we obeying God? Are we allowing God to do the work in us and then the work through us that he desires for us? And all of this points to Jesus Christ. All of this points to the beautiful gift that God has given us and teaching us more about who Jesus is to us and what he wants to do through us. Here's a big idea for you today, and you'll see it on your notes and on the screen. That great blessing from God comes when I withhold nothing from God. Great blessing from God, and we need to have the right definition of the word blessing, comes from God when I withhold nothing from God. Why? Because we're going to see at the heart of this text, God withheld did not withhold his savior from his son from us. So may we not withhold our things from him. God is exhorting us to hold nothing from him and offer everything to him through faith because that's what God did for us and that's what he asks of us because that's the best thing for us. 
the question for today that we need to wrestle with is what am I withholding from God? And the beauty that we will see all throughout is the heart of the gospel that God withheld, did not withhold his son. It's going to be vividly displayed through this text. And so as hard as whatever the trials are that we're walking through, may we see the, God, the, the, the heart of God in it, the presence of God that will see us through it, and the beauty of God. And may we see a bigger version and vision of the gospel of God today, because that's what God wants of us today. That even in our heart and hurt that is this world, there is hope in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So I don't know what you're walking through. One, you're not alone. God is with you and we're with you. But two, I just pray that in the heart and the hurt, you will see the hope, the hope of the gospel, just like Abraham did. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for how you're working and moving in our lives. And I just pray that you would just silence our, our minds, um, God, with so many distractions, so many things that might be running through our head and focus us on you. Reveal yourself afresh and again, did I help us to see the significance of your sacrifice that you made for us as you sent your only son? Help us to just slow down and, and rest in that reality to see Jesus for who he is and the sacrifice that he gave for us and that we would find hope in it in the hurt and the heart of this broken world and this fallen world that we live in, in in our own sinful flesh that we wrestle with on a daily basis, God. Father, just refresh us again with the beauty of who you are. Restore us again with your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Convict us, exhort us, compel us, God, to become more and more like you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Hebrews chapter 11, which is where we're going to anchor today, as, as well as looking at some backstory in Genesis. This is the word of the Lord, Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. This is the word of the Lord. Last, thanks be to God, amen. Uh, last week we saw that our confidence and our courage to follow the Lord was boosted by the reality that God is with us in the waiting. Today, may our confidence and courage to live in faith be boosted by the reality that God was with us in the testing. It's by faith, Abraham, when he was tested. It's not if he was tested, it's when he was tested, just like you and I will be tested. So the question is, will we live by faith and run to God in the test, or will we turn from God and run away from him in the testing? We see the reality, we saw it last week, that nothing is too hard for the Lord, amen? Nothing is too hard for the Lord. And God always keeps his word. He always keeps his promises. After 25 years, when he had promised Abraham and Sarah a child, and he delivered on that. And now it's a couple, several years later, even after that, and Abraham is being tested yet again. And so if Abraham, the patriarch of the faith of the Hebrew nation, of the, the, the people of God, was being tested over and over and over again, don't you think that you and I are gonna be tested over and over and over again? And one of the realities that we'll see from the text today explicitly in Genesis 22 is that the purpose of God's testing of Abraham is to test the genuineness and the authenticity of his faith. And again, if he's testing Abraham in that, don't you think he's gonna test that in you and I? And when he tests us, what will he find today? Will he find you faithful, a faithful follower? Or will he find that you are but a fair weather fan? 
that when the going gets hard, you run as from God as opposed to going to God. And praise God for his grace, wherever you find yourself today, wherever, whatever the test has revealed that there is hope for you, there is mercy for you, that there is joy for you with the Lord. But to best understand and accurately understand what the author of Hebrews here is writing to apply it to our lives, we must understand the biblical context here. So flip back with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 22 to understand what is happening in greater detail with Abraham's life about when he was tested and what it looked like for him to offer Isaac up and what it looked like for him to cling to the promises he had and how we can live with the same level of obedience in our lives when God is testing us today. And whatever test you find yourself in today or whatever test you find yourself in tomorrow or the days and weeks to come. So again, in Genesis 22, it says, verse one, it says, after these things, God tested Abraham. So you're like, what are these things? Well, we want to understand the context to best understand what's happening here. Yeah, so yes, yeah, so these things imply everything leading up to this, but more specifically, it, it talks about what the gap between where we left off last week and where we were this week. And we closed last week with Genesis 21, where we saw that Isaac was born, praise God. We also know that along the way that Abraham's faith was not always perfect and that he had, he had succumbed to a temptation to take things into his own hands with Sarah. And he had, a, he had a baby with Hagar named Ishmael. And when Genesis 21 continues, we see that there was some conflict arising between the two sons, especially Sarah continued to be jealous of Ishmael. And she said to Abraham, get him out of here. Get him out of the tent. Ishmael was a teenager at this time and he was laughing at Isaac. And Sarah was not a fan of that. And God told Abraham, okay, do what your wife tells you. And so he sent Ishmael and Hagar out of the camp. By God's grace, God cared for Ishmael and Hagar. Just see, he cares for all of us. And the story continues that then Abraham was traveling in the Philistine land at the time and he made a, a, a treaty with a, a Philistine king named Abimelech treaty to treat each other kindly in verse 22 and on in chapter 21. And it says there at the end of chapter 21, right before these verses, they made this covenant at, at a place that Abraham named Beersheba. And Abraham planted a, a tree there and he called the, on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Isn't that awesome that Abraham on his journey, remember he's a nomad right now, that he sees that God is everlasting, that there is no beginning, no end to God, that he is eternal, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the character of our God. And so it's under, with that uh, backstory that we see, and even Abimelech, if you read more thoroughly, saw in Abraham's life that the hand of the Lord was upon him. And that God was with him in everything that he was doing. That's verse 22 of chapter 21. And so friends, sometimes the purpose of our testing and even our wandering is so that those around us see the work of God in us and, and, and are impacted by it. God wants to work in you and then he wants to work through you in a big way. So then we get to 22, one, and it says, after these things, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham. And he said, Abraham said, here am I. Verse two, he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on, the on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of the young men with him and his son, Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and he rose and he went to that place of which God had told him. After these things, Abraham tested, God tested Abraham. In your life, after these things, after I got the marriage, God continued to test me. After I had these kids, God continued to test me. After I passed this test, God continues, God will continue to test you. 
And so what we want to do today is the reality of God's testing is real and remember the reality of his heart that he does it out of love for you. But in this text, in in Hebrews 11 and Genesis 22, I believe that God is providing a, a study guide for how to pass his test successfully how to allow the work of the Lord to do its work. God wants to work in you. He wants to sanctify you through these testings. He wants you to become more like Jesus. Who wants to become more like Jesus today, right? Right? Careful what you wish for, right? Because the tools that God uses are not always gentle. Just like a sculptor doesn't use a feather to get a beautiful masterpiece, he uses a chisel to make you into a beautiful masterpiece of God's glory. That imagery is in Ephesians 2.10. God will often use fire to, refirm, uh, to burn away the infirmaries, to use pressure to get, the, get rid of the stuff around the diamonds, to use a chisel to make you into his masterpiece. And so sometimes all we can do is feel the pain and we miss the purpose, right? So I pray today that we would see the purpose of God, the heart of God, as we have this spiritual study guide, like you were given a study guide in a, in a class, right? And like the teacher's like, this will be on the test, right? Study it, know it, so you can apply it when the test comes. And maybe you've had those in in school or in a law enforcement career or military career or or wherever you are. This is coming. I need to be able to do this thing to pass the test. We're going to look at three things on the spiritual test of study guide so that when the tests come and they will come, are coming, are here, that we can pass them, that we can allow God to work in us and through us in the way that he wants so that we can become more like him. And if that's the ultimate goal, everything else pales in comparison. So the first uh, section, the first thing on the spiritual test study guide is this, always ready. The teacher is saying, you always need to be ready because why the tests are coming? Well, the text says that, right? When tested, Hebrews eleven seventeen. when he was tested, after these things in Genesis 22, 1, after God tested Abraham after these things. It's not if, it's when. So the question is, will you be ready for the test? Because when you take a pop quiz, you don't have time to study, do you, right? It's revealing what you have prepared for. It's revealing what you already know. It's revealing the work that you have done to be in the position that you are in so that when these things come up out of that, when you least expect them, you react in the way that God has trained you if you allow yourself to be trained up by it. Same thing is like, you're like, I didn't expect that thing at your work. God doesn't expect you to expect what's gonna happen at work tomorrow. But he wants you to be in a prepared mental heart place, spiritual place that you can respond in a God-honoring way, even without the specifics, if that makes sense. So we always have to be ready. We shouldn't be surprised when the tests are coming because they're coming. And God doesn't always, if ever, tell us when. He just tells us that they are. And if he's continuing to test Abraham, and he tests him in the mo- one of the most significant ways in all of Scripture right here, he will test you and I. He will go after what matters most to you. He will go after what threatens to be an idol in your life because he loves you and he wants to refine you and he wants to grow you and he wants you to have all of him. Now, the first thing that we have to do when to be ready or to, when the tests come is to be learn how to properly diagnose it. Because if you have a pop quiz in your history class, you don't really want to apply calculus, right? <laughs> You have to be able to diagnose the correct test to be able to respond accordingly in this test. And the same thing spiritually. There's a difference between testing, which can also be called trials, and temptation. Those are huge differences. And so we need to first diagnose that to figure out how to deal with it. 
Now, not every difficult experience in our life is an ordained test by God's sense here that says, and you will be tested in this way. Now, God allows everything, right, and, and to happen in our life, and he will use everything, but he doesn't directly send everything. Sometimes he sends things directly. Other times it reveals things and how we respond to it is a test. But the significant difference between testing and temptation in our lives is this. Temptation comes from within. Testing comes from without. James is really helpful in understanding this to be able to understand how to best to be ready to apply this. And he talks about temptations in this. We're not going to spend a lot of time on temptations, but I think it's really important to understand, to be ready to pass the test. We have to understand what is a test and what is a temptation. James, he says this in James 1, 13 through 15, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts who? No one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, where it is fully grown, brings forth death. That's a whole different sermon in and of itself. It's how you see the cycle of sin happening there. It's a profound passage. Study it. Dig into it a little bit later on your own. But understand this, that, sin, that temptation comes from our sinful desires within us. God would never say, hey, that candy bar that you want to slide into your pocket, this is a test. No, that's a temptation to steal, right? That's coming from what's inside you. Testing comes from what's outside of you. James also in chapter one says this, he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. There's a purpose to the testing. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete. That's talking about spiritual maturity, lacking in nothing. Blessed is a man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So part of the endurance, part of the, the purpose of the test is to build up spiritual endurance, to grow our sanctification so that we may grow to be perfect, lacking nothing. Is anyone in this room spiritually perfect, lacking nothing? I didn't think so. So that means that our testing is not done, right? That God will continue to test us because he wants to continue to refine us because he loves us in huge ways. See the purpose. And we miss out on the purpose when we run from the test. We must allow the, st- the test to have its full effect. And some of us are walking through trials right now or go through tom- trials tomorrow that we haven't built up the endurance yet and we just wanna, the pain is too much, we wanna run can I tell you that you can do more than you really realize? Because the Bible tells you that it's not really you, but it's the Holy Spirit working in you and through you. God will never send you a test that he doesn't think you're ready for. You just might not believe that you're ready for it yet. We don't get to pick and choose our tests. It will stretch you. It will expose you. It will refine you. I mean, so many of you are in the military. It's basic training fun, right? No. Going to Bud's. You want to be a SEAL? You don't sign up on the dotted line. I want to be in the military. Yes, day one, great. You're now going to be a SEAL. No, there's a long journey, right? It's going to reveal what you're ready for and what you're not ready for. You have to endure under. You can't quit or ring the bell spiritually, so to speak. But how many of you are doing that or have done that? Praise God for his grace. He's not done with you yet. But these trials are intentional. They're loving. They're refining so that we can grow to be more like Jesus. And again, trials and tests are earthly painful often, but they are eternally purposeful. And if God is going to allow this to happen in Abraham's life, he will absolutely allow it to happen in your life too. You gotta be ready. You gotta get your mind right. 
We know that Abraham was ready because it says in eleven seventeen, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he did what? He offered up Isaac. He obeyed immediately. More on that in a second. So how do we prepare accordingly? How do we prepare? Because we know that we're going to be tested. Well, I've uh, privilege of working with several military friends over the years. And, you know, so often they say this, they say, you know, proper planning prevents poor performance, right? So we have to plan. We have to be ready. We have to study. So many of you are, are former law enforcement or current law enforcement or athletics or school. All of the principles apply that you practice like you play. You play like you practice. So you want to be drilling right now. So when the bullets are live, you just react, right? Same thing spiritually. So how do we do this? The first part of, of our spiritual preparation is this, is to continually set my heart vertically. Every single morning, I need to set my heart vertically. I need to set my heart on the Lord. I need to tune my heart to the Lord. Scripture talks about renewing your mind. I need to get in the word of God. I need to train my mind. I need to have prayer time. I need to dedicate that, but I'm too busy. Well, you're going to fail the test that comes your way if you're too busy to pray or you're too busy to read the word because you won't be prepared, will you? You'll be operating in your flesh. So many of us are so dedicated physically, and you're going to, I'm going to spend money. I'm going to spend time. I'm going to, get, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm not going to miss my workout. I'm not going to watch what I eat physically. I'm only going to eat this food or that food. But how many of us are that disciplined spiritually? This is our food, right? What we put into our bodies, the word of God. Are you feasting on this every day? Or are you just waking up, putting your social media on, your favorite cable news station on, and that is what's consuming your mind? You're going to fail the spiritual test because you're not eating a spiritual food. Your diet needs to change. You need to set my heart vertically. So how many of us today are withholding our preparation? We're withholding our hearts because it's not, we're not training it. And it is training. Spiritual disciplines are real. You know, if it, we have great resources on that of what does it look like to grow in our spiritual disciplines of worship and prayer and reading God's word? How do I read God's word? We would love to walk with you in it, but you have to continually set my heart, your heart vertically because if you're anything like me, I might be like, I'm all in on God and then I drift, right? And then I'm in a ditch. And then when the test comes, I fail it. And I failed more tests than I want to admit. Or I will admit, I failed a lot of tests. But it starts with a desire in my heart to set my heart vertically on the Lord, on his purposes in his word, on his will, which is in his word, on his power, which is his word and the Holy Spirit. To hear the Holy Spirit, to tune out the noise. Today, friends, is the direction of your heart pointing inward on yourself or upward on God. Prepare your heart by setting your heart vertically. You might not know the details, but when your heart is set on the deliverer, you will pass the test. You can be strengthened to do that. The second preparation point is this, is to listen clearly. In Genesis, Genesis 22 passage, right? After these things, God tested Abraham and he did what? He said to him, he is speaking to Abraham. God is speaking to you and I today. The question is, are you listening? And some of you are like, I haven't heard the audible voice of the Lord in like my entire life. Okay, you know how one of the ways that God speaks prominently in our life is? His word. Like literally, his word is right here. So my question is, are you going into his word daily to listen? And then are you going in with an open heart I have to go there, but then how I go there matters. Because if I'm just like, I just read two verses, see you later, God, I got to go. You're not listening. God is speaking, but you're not listening. Slow down. Take the time. Be silent. Change your approach. I need to continue to train myself to do this. Go into the word and not just go, it's called eisegesis. God, I have this idea on my mind. Yep, this verse affirms it. Great, I'm going to go do it. 
But I challenge you to do this this week. Go into the word, step one. Step two, go in with an open heart and an open mind and pray this prayer before you go into the word. Holy Spirit, reveal to me and teach me and speak to me what you want to today. And then be silent and let him speak and listen. Oh, I don't got time for that. You got time to go to the physical gym? Go to the spiritual gym. You got to build your faith muscles, right? You got to listen. I'm going to be married 19 years in June. Um, I, I've had to perpetually grow in listening, and, and I am still growing in listening, am I not? Um, I am. She will affirm that. <laughs> But guys and gals, there's a difference. Like if we're on the couch late at night and I'm like, hey, honey, how's your day? And the TV's on and I'm on my phone. I'm listening. Am I listening? No, I'm not listening. How many of us are treating God like that? He's speaking, I promise. Will you listen? He might not be saying what you want to say him to say, but you got to listen clearly. Change, this to, to change the stations. Be consistent. Set your heart. And thirdly is surrender completely. Abraham in his response right here in Genesis 22, God said to him, Abraham, and look at Abraham's response. And he said, here am I, right? That's a response of openness. Speak, Lord, I'm your servant. I surrender what I want to do and I'm ready to do whatever you want to do. How many of us are withholding our surrender from the Lord today? Remember, God will bless us when we withhold nothing. And the blessing is his presence, it's his peace, it's his hope, it's his plan. Here am I. Is that your heart posture today? Is that your body, is that your life posture with your every resource you have, with every aspect of your life, with every decision you're making? Here am I, Lord, I want, I'm just here to do your way. Whatever you want, whether it makes sense to me or not, whether I like it or not, whether I agree with it or not, here am I, your servant. You're the boss. I'm not. Or is our focus, God, where are you? Now, we can go to God in our hurt and our pain, and we should. Read the Psalms. David does that all the time. I'm not saying don't do that, but I'm saying at the end of the day, it's a posture of humility and surrender that says in the middle of everything, whether I'm the highest mountain or the lowest low, here am I, God. I'm yours. Because you're not going to obey if you're not surrendered. Obedience is the fruit of humility the heart posture. So this is a preparation test. Are you ready today? Is your heart open? Is your mind open? Are your hands open with everything in your life? This text speaks visibly to being open with our family, which is honestly one of the most difficult things, right? But location, job, resources, the things that we love most dear, are you open-handed or close-handed with today? Surrender completely. Lean in. Because what the trials do is that they expose where you really are. You play like you practice. And I believe, church, fam, that over the last two or three years, we've all gone through a variety of trials. I'm not saying they're God-ordained, but I'm saying that God uses them to expose where we are. When you talk about the pandemic, when you talk about the social justice issues, when you talk about the political tension and insurrections, in and through all of that, have you run to God? Have you run away from God? Be really real. And I pray and challenge you to come back to God today with all of you, who you are. 
great blessing from God comes when I withhold nothing from God. Abraham is withholding nothing from God today. And the second, the second thing on the, t- the study guide that we need to master, because we know it's coming on the test, we need to get our mind wrapped around, we need to be ready to respond as this. It's the obedience test. It's we need to obey quickly. We see Abraham doing that right here. And then in both the Hebrews 11 and the Genesis 22 passage, In Genesis 22, it says, okay, God gives him this thing where it says, take your son, your only son, whom you love. God is acknowledging one that, that Isaac is his only son. And yes, he had Ishmael, but he's talking about the son of the promise with Sarah here. And the word only is very powerful in this text. It's not just like one, like I have one candy bar. It means unique. It means special. It means set apart. Whom you love. He's acknowledging the reality that Abraham loves his son, but he's asking the deeper question, do you love me more to trust me with you and your son? It's not wrong to love your family. It's not wrong to love your job. It's not wrong to love all of these things. But when a good thing becomes a ruling thing, as Paul Tripp says, it becomes an idolatrous thing. Anything, anything, anything that you love more than God is an idol. Even good stuff. Obey quickly. And look at what Abraham does. Verse 3, chapter 22. The call is significant. Offer him. Burnt offering. Let me be very clear what that means because the text is going to show it means kill him. And then it means burn him. Burnt offering. And Abraham, no delay. Verse 3. Rose early in the morning, saddled the donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and he rose and he went to the place that God had told him. He obeys wholeheartedly. If it was me, I wouldn't probably, just being really real. I'd be like, God, are you kidding me? After 25 years, we finally have the kid and we don't know how old Isaac is. He's not older than 36 or 37 because of some age that we know when Sarah passed and how old Sarah was when she was born. He's probably in his teens or early 20s. Most likely, we don't definitively know. 25 years I waited, God, and now you're taking him away from me? But that wasn't where Abraham's head was at. We know that from Hebrews 11, where it said in verse 19 of Hebrews 11, it said, he, Abraham, considered that God was able to raise him from the dead. So Abraham's like, even if you have me kill my son, I just know so much with confidence that you're going to fulfill your promise, that you're going to build a great nation through Isaac, that you will raise him from the dead. Mind-blowing faith, right? I I don't know that I could still go through with it, right? But he trusted that God was able then. The God that had provided Isaac and promised Isaac is the God that will save Isaac in whatever way he wanted. Abraham's ability to obey was tied directly into the reality that he trusted the promises of God over his need for explanations and details. He just did the next right thing. We see that right here. That's quick obedience. What did he do? He got up early. He saddled the donkey. He chopped the wood and he got up Isaac. And he didn't tell Isaac yet what was happening. He didn't tell anyone. He was carrying this burden himself. I I can't even fathom that. God's grace is sufficient in every scenario. And there are times that we need to hold things to ourselves and God is with us. And there are times that we need to share them in this moment He began a journey, three days and two nights, and he was holding this information to himself. 
And over and over this week, God met me and he rocked me. I have four kids. We have four kids. Two of them are girls, two of them are boys. And I just pictured over and over my son, one of my sons in this journey that we would be walking together. And I just don't know how I would do it. But I see how Abraham did it, but it's hard, right? It's hard. We're not denying the hard. Quick obedience does not deny the hard or the hurt. It clings to the hope that we have in Jesus and it elevates God over all. And it trusts even when we can't see it. He acted in immediate obedience because of his conviction of the power of God. God, even if it's your plan to raise him from the dead, I know that you will do it. And his assurance of the promises of God. God, you've been faithful to me thus far. I know that you have promised me that you will have a nation born through Isaac and I know that you're going to do it. I don't like necessarily the way you're going to do it. I don't know if I understand it. I don't even know if I can totally go through with it potentially, but I'm going to trust you in it, that you're going to strengthen me and you're going to strengthen Isaac. And I don't know what you're walking through, but may you cling to the assurances of the promises of God, just like Abraham did. It says that explicitly in 11:17. he who had received the promises, not just one promise, right? Multiple promises. He was in the act of offering up his own son. Like he was acting obediently because he anchored his heart in the assurances of God's promises and the authority of God's power. That's how we obey quickly. He didn't delay. And I don't know what God is asking you to do right now, but just do the next right thing. You don't have to have all the details. And next right thing is different in different seasons and different situations because God's trials and tests are tailor-made for each one of us individually because God knows our Achilles heel. He knows what we want to cling to. And that might be different for me than it is for you, Angie. But out of love, God is going to go after both of our hearts because he wants all of us. So it might look different for us and it might look different seasonally for us. God's first test of Abraham was, do you trust me to provide Isaac? And now God's testing me, do you trust me for me to birth Isaac? And now do you trust me enough to kill Isaac? Those are two opposite ends of the spectrum, right? But God is faithful and he's sovereign over life and God is faithful and he's sovereign over death. We can trust him in and through it all. Are you willing to do that right here, right now? And in your story, just do the next right thing. Saddle the donkey, get up early in the morning, get your kid, get the servants, begin the journey, chop the wood. What is the next right thing that God is asking you to do right now in the middle of your trial? whether he's calling you to go or stay, whether he's calling you to go to this school or that school, whether he's calling you to share the gospel with that person or not, start the Bible study or not. I don't know, serve on a ministry team or not. I don't know what it is, but what's the next right thing? Abraham wasn't even consumed with what's gonna happen three days from now. He just did the next thing in front of him. The God that was just, until God shut that door, I will keep walking this step. And what are you asking? What is God asking you to do right now? Is your obedience today con- conditional or unconditional? What I mean by that is how many of us would be like, God, I will obey you if you promise me and give me the detailed plan of how you're going to spare Isaac. That's conditional. God, I will obey you if you do it my way. Or God, I will obey you if you protect me from this. No, God doesn't want conditional obedience. He demands unconditional obedience because that's surrender. That means he's Lord and I'm not. Where is your obedience in your life? Are you withholding obedience because you're trying to demand that God do it on your terms? You're trying to regain control or retain control. God is demanding and asking of you to trust him. And just maybe the trial is not actually about the detail, but it's about your heart condition of refusing to let go of control. God loves you. 
And the God who's been faithful to this point will continue to be faithful. In and through it all, we see that this text is beautifully and powerfully pointing to Jesus. God called Abram, Abraham to take Isaac to a place called Moriah, to a mountain. We don't even know specifically which mountain definitively, but you'll see the map on the screen here. It's about a 45-mile journey on foot, three days, two nights. We know that 2 Chronicles 3.1 teaches us that Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. And so very, very likely that this mountain where Abraham took Isaac to be sacrificed was the mountain where the temple of God would be built and many, many sacrifices would be made to pay to cover for the sins of man. God is working in a profound way here, but this, these steps are over, overwhelming. This obedience, this ask of obedience is potentially overwhelming. So just do the next right thing. Just do the next right God-honoring biblical thing. What is God asking me to do today? And he's gonna give you the strength to do it. He will do it. He's not leaving you. He will give you the strength in it and then he'll give you the strength for tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. So today, friends, are you withholding obedience in any place of your life? Delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Think about how parents, how you act with your kids or when your parents asked you, I'm gonna clean, I'll do it later. No, you're gonna do it now, right? Delayed obedience is obedience, it's disobedience. Remember the great blessing comes from God when I withhold nothing from God. God's after your heart and I give it as I give it all to God because at the heart of our obedience is a heart of offering. In Hebrews eleven seventeen, it says that when he was tested, Abraham offered up Isaac. The word offering means to bring to, to lead to, to offer up, to, to freely give. He's asking you to offer up everything as you withhold nothing. Will you do that? Will you live obediently today because the one who called you is always faithful? Because that's the third part of this test. It's the worship test. The first part of our study guide, the third thing on our study guide that is going to be on your test that you need to master now and prepare now is this. We need to always be ready. We need to obey quickly, quickly, quickly. And then we need to withhold nothing. This text continues. On the third day, verse four of Genesis 22, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the donkey. And the boy will go over there and worship and come back to you. What faith right there, right? The boy and I will go over and worship and the faith is where? And we will come again to you. Both of us, not one of us, both of us. I don't know how, I know who. And our heart is set on worship. It's a worship test. Worship means ascribing worth, God overall. In verse six, and Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on, uh, on his son. And he took in his, in his hand the fire and he took a knife. And so they went out, both of them. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here am I, son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Isaac's asking the same question I would ask, right? One of my kids would ask, hey, dad, um, aren't we missing something here? I'm down for this, this father and son trip. I want to worship the Lord, but where's the lamb? And can you just imagine the angst in Abraham's heart? Still yet holding on personally to the information that God had given him. 
And look at his response in verse eight. Abraham said, God will what? He'll provide. He'll provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Again, this is all looking to Jesus. So they went both together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and he laid the wood in order and he bound Isaac, his son, and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to what? Slaughter his son. Can you imagine? I was weeping in my office this week, imagining one of my boys tied up and bound on the altar, me with a knife over his hand and go, like, but this is real. And this is the level of obedience. And the angel of the Lord said, what? Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, what? Here am I. The same response he had in verse one, he's having again. I'm willing to do whatever you want, God. But the angel of the Lord said in verse 11, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I what? Now I know, like he had doubts before. Now I know that what? You fear God, seeing that you have what? What's the next two words in your Bible? Not withheld your son. Your what? Your only son from who? From me. You didn't withhold the thing that you love most in this world. You didn't withhold your only son. And now I know that you fear me because you are willing to give me absolutely everything. Friends, where in your life are you withholding something from God? What is that thing that you're like, God can have everything but this. He has no idea how much I care about it. I've worked hard enough for, to get my job. I can't give, I want the house, the job, the scholarship, the family. What is God asking you today to lay down on the altar of worship and say, God, I fear you. I revere you. That's what that word means. I exalt you over this thing. Where are you withholding from God today? And Abraham looked with his eyes and he looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son substitutionary atonement. This is pointing to Jesus, taking the place of, uh, taking our place on the cross. And so Abraham called the name of this place and he said, the Lord will provide. In the Hebrew, he says, the Jehovah Jireh, my provider. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. It leans in Hebrew, the Lord shall see to it. In the middle of your trial, the Lord will provide. In the middle of your day-to-day, he shall see to it. Not you, but he shall see to it. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. And check this out right here. This is where the big idea comes, right from this text. By myself, I have sworn. This is God speaking to Abraham, declares the Lord. Because why? You have done this. And check this out, verse 16 and 17. And not withheld your son, your only son. That's the third time he said, your only son. I will surely what? Bless you. I will surely bless you because you have not withheld your only son. 
And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Why, verse 18? Because you have obeyed my voice. When you couldn't see it, you chose to obey. When you didn't understand it, you chose to obey. You chose to trust that I can raise the dead. You chose to trust that I have your best at heart. You chose to trust that I want to grow you, that I want to use you, that there is hope in the name of Jesus Christ. No matter where you are, and so Abraham, verse 19, returned to his young men and they arose and they went together to Beersheba. They went back home and Abraham lived at Beersheba. He trusted. He trusted that God was able, verse 19 of Hebrews 11 says. And right now, friends, God is able in the middle of your trial right now. Just say that with me. Say, God is able. Say it again, right? God is able. Jehovah Jireh. I don't know what you're walking through, but the Lord will meet you there. And if you withhold nothing, he will bless you there. Well, I don't know. I might lose my money. You might. You might lose your life too, but he will bless you with peace that is beyond our understanding. He will bless you with everlasting life in eternity. He will bless you with an abundant life here on earth. He will bless you with great joy that is found in him. He will bless you with insurmountable, and we sang about it earlier, living hope. You want the context for a living hope? Go read 1 Peter chapter 1 this afternoon, verses 3 through 9. Our living hope comes to prepare us to walk through the trials that refine us by fire so that the testing can prove and reprove and and change us to be more like Jesus Christ. Our hope has a purpose, to walk with faith, to live with obedience, to trust the Lord. God met me this week in a supernatural way and revealed to me many things too profoundly. One, there are things in my life that I've been withholding from him that I needed to repent of. I needed to lay down and I did and it was powerful. That his grace was sufficient, that his mercy was sufficient in my mess, that his grace covers my sin, that I needed to repent and I needed to stop withholding something and I need to offer him literally everything. And then he revealed his love for me and for you. The gospel became fresh again. It's a beautiful thing. May it never become stale. Because I felt as I was visualizing, I didn't want to go there. I didn't want to visualize my sons on the altar. I didn't want to visualize myself with a knife, but I felt God saying, you got to go there. You got to go there, my son, Daniel. You got to go there. Why? Because I want you to sense how much I love you. Because while everything in this text points to Jesus, and we'll look, everything in this text points to him in so many ways. Isaac was a miracle baby born to a barren woman. You know who else was a miracle baby born to immaculate? Jesus. Isaac was the only son, that word only, the same word used three times in this text is the same exact word used in John 3.16 to describe God's only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his what? Only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Isaac was figuratively dead for three days, Hebrews 11.19 says. Jesus was literally dead for three days. Isaac carried the wood up the hill for his own sacrifice. Jesus carried the wooden cross up the hill for his. Isaac willingly submitted to being sacrificed. Jesus, like a lamb being led to a slaughter, did not say a word because he thought of you and he thought of me. 
Isaac sacrificed on a mountain in Moriah. Jesus most likely sacrificed on a mountain right near Mount Moriah. Jesus was sacrificed right outside the city gates of Jerusalem, right outside the walls of the temple where Isaac figuratively brought back from the dead, Hebrews eleven nineteen said, Jesus literally raised from the dead, amen? So God was saying the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, but he said, Daniel, there is one thing that is a huge differentiation between Isaac and Jesus. And he said this way to me in my heart, and I pray that you would get it right here and hear your hope. I pulled Isaac off the altar and I left Jesus on the cross because I thought of you because I loved you, because there was no other way to pay the price for your sins other than my only son to die for you. A perfect sacrifice required to cover every single one of your sins. That's how much I love you, he told my heart. And I pray that you would know how much you are loved, whatever you're walking through this morning how much you are cared for, how much you are cherished, how much you are sought after, how much you are pursued, that God did not withhold anything from you but the judgment that we deserve, and he offered his only son to you, amen? And if God was willing, or and God was unwilling to withhold his son for us, may we be unwilling to withhold our hearts, our faith, our belief from, Jesus, from him today. You want to know something else really cool? In Genesis twenty-two twelve, when it talks about that Abraham, when the, Lord, the voice of the Lord through the Lord said to this, that Abraham, see, I know you now fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your only son in the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. In the Septuagint, the same word used right there for not withheld is the same exact word that Paul uses in Romans 8.32 in this verse that you'll see on the screen. He, God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him to us for all, how will he not also with him graciously give us, what? All things. So Abraham's not withholding is meant absolutely to point us to directly to God not sparing. God did not withhold. He did not spare his son, but he gave him. He offered him freely to us. It's a free gift. And then he wants to graciously bless us. He wants to graciously give us all things. What a God, amen. What a hope we have in Jesus. So today, as we remember that sacrifice, as we reflect on that sacrifice, what is God asking you to offer him? Where is he asking for you to obey quickly? What have you been withholding today that you want to lay down at the foot of the cross? Because when it says that God is graciously willing to give us all things, it says this, that my grace is sufficient for you. That my grace, I want to offer you my grace that covers every single sin that you have committed. There is no sin that you can commit that outruns the grace of God. And there is no, not a day that goes by that we outgrow our need for the grace of God. So today, what do you need to offer to Jesus? Would you take your communion cup out? 
1 Corinthians 11, the text says this, for I received from the Lord, which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. And do this in remembrance of me. Communion is a remembrance. It's a reflection of the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. At harvest, we celebrate what is called open communion. So you don't have to be a member here. You don't, this might even be your first time here, but if you've committed your life to the Lord as your Lord and Savior, put your faith in him while we want, invite you to please celebrate communion with us. If you have not done that yet, one, I would, with all my heart, with all my heart, ask that you would give your life to the Lord right now. He who did not spare his own son for you, he sees you in your mess and his mercy is enough. If you have not done that and are not yet ready to do that, if you would please graciously refrain from taking communion, please. This text also teaches that we need to go and we need to participate in communion with with a clean heart. Maybe there's something you've been withholding from God that you need to repent of or a sin that you need to confess. We're gonna take the bread and the top of the cup here, the wafer in in a moment. But before we take it together, would you just spend these next few quiet moments listening to God, confessing to God, repenting to God, thanking God for that reality that he did not withhold his own son as we prepare our heart to remember and to, ref- and to celebrate that beautiful reality. You just bow your heads in between you and God right now. Confess any unconfessed sin. Repent from anything you've been withholding. we just thank you for your body that your, your son gave for us. And Jesus, we thank you for being a willing sacrifice. And Jesus, we just ask that your grace would cover our sins. Friends, would you now take this wafer and eat it in remembrance that Jesus' body was broken for you? First Corinthians 11 continues and it says in the same way he took the cup after supper saying this is cup it's the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes Jesus gave everything for you Jesus withheld nothing he withheld not even any drops of blood he gave it all so we prepare our hearts to drink of the cup, would you spend some time with the Lord? Offering to him, committing to him, maybe a next step of faith or an act of obedience he's asking you to take. In view of the sacrifice God made for you, what will you willingly surrender and sacrifice for him today? So now between you and the Lord, will you just sort of offer up, commit to God, whatever he's asking, just maybe this is just a time to ask him and just to be silent and listen, to be ready to obey.
Father, sometimes we forget the significance of your sacrifice. What it might, must have felt like for you to watch your son on a cross. Your only son. Beaten and bruised. Rejected. Whipped. But in and through all of that, God, our Father, and Jesus Christ, our Lord, you thought of us. And you were willing. Because you love us and want a restored relationship eternally and on earth with us. Thank you, Jesus. So friends, would you now drink this cup with me in honor of and remembrance of the greatest sacrifice ever paid for you and me? Father, we just thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your grace and your goodness. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for Abraham's model of resilient faith. Abraham was far from perfect and so are we. Abraham needed a blood sacrifice to cover his sins and so do we. And you provided it. You provided a ram for Abraham. You provided your son for us. And God, help us today to trust that you are Jehovah Jireh. You know our needs better than we know them and you will meet our needs. You will work in us and you will work through us so that you might be glorified by us. Help us to surrender in whatever way you want to work in us. Help us to trust you that you are able to do it. To take the next step of obedient faith that you are calling us to. And maybe, just maybe, that's putting our hope and our faith in you genuinely and authentically for the first time. Jesus, we love you. May you be magnified and lifted up and exalted in our life today, tomorrow, and always. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.